You are listening to the Revive the World Ministries podcast. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.org or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. God, man, he's good. Worship's incredible. Thanks, worship team. Will you give them guys a hand? For it's not why they do it, but they put a lot of time into it. Shoo, there's nothing like being in his presence with family, right? So, before I speak, as some of you know, Isabel is Isabel. To, to very few of you, Isabella, but uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, she's back from, from Bethel, from BSSM, second year. She uh, went to, obviously, to, to year one, and, and we miss her dearly. She's a spiritual daughter of this house and feels like another, another kid to us personally. Um, but I'm going to have her come pray real quick before I get into anything else. So just position your hearts to receive whatever God wants to do, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that loving you is so easy. Thank you, Jesus, for your unconditional love. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you that out of loving you, we love others. Thank you that you've opened our eyes and our hearts to see people the way you see your sons and daughters. Thank you that we are clothed in your compassion, your gentleness, your kindness, your humility, and your patience. Patience, yes, Jesus. Thank you that we're on your time. Thank you that your plans for us are good. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we just live in your peace. As the body of Christ, we are called to peace. Shalom. Peace be with you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Yes, Father. Thank you for worship. (laughs) It's just so beautiful to me. I'm in awe of worship. I get to lay down everything in front of him and just thank him for all that he's done for me. I just get to put my face on the floor. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the callings you have on everyone in this room. Thank you, Jesus, that you made us keys and only the callings in our life that we are the key to the door and the calling you have on our life is the only thing <laughs> we fit into. <laughs> Thank you that, our, that you're <laughs> purifying and refining our souls that we call out only to you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, that we're a fire and we burn only for you. <sighs> 
So thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that I have this opportunity to be up here <laughs> and with this family. I just bless you. And I'm going to be praying for all of you. <laughs> thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks to Jesus. Whew. So one of the reasons I did that is, is because every time that, that Isabel has come back from, from Reading, um, she's getting a lot of impartation. Some of you know what impartation is. Um, you see it throughout the Bible. Paul told the, the Roman church, I, I long to come to you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. He was saying, I got something I can release to you. Uh, you look in the Old Testament, you see blessings come um, from fathers to, to sons, specifically firstborn sons. It's one of the reasons the Bible calls us, calls us sons. It's gender, gender neutral, uh, not in, in the way the world talks about it, but in the way that the Bible talks about it, uh, in the sense that the blessing, you want the firstborn son blessing. I know we fight for equality in the kingdom, but I'll tell you that there is, there is actually, uh, we're all one in Christ, uh, but you want the firstborn son's blessing, <laughs> and so that's what, that's what Jesus got, and that's what he released to us, and so when she's come, she's come back, she's always carried something more, and I had her pray for me, I have her pray for me every time, um, and <clears throat> it doesn't matter how, how old, how young, how long, somebody's been doing this, if I think that they've got something that they, they carry that I don't, I'm going to position my heart as a son to them and, and get it, because um, I always want more, and humility is the key to that, in which Isabel displays so beautifully, and so um, when she came back this time, and I pray, had her pray for me Wednesday night, there was, it was even more, and I was like, Pray for us on Sunday so that we can receive it. And it gets released in the atmosphere. It has nothing to do with the words you say or the words you pray. It has everything to do with hungry hearts. And when you're hungry, you'll, you're going to receive. Every room that I'm in, I'm like, Lord, I receive by faith. Any impartation that I can get or even apprehend, I'll take it. It's the only, it's the only uh, legal time you can actually take something is when you're apprehending impartation. <laughs> uh, so... I've got uh, a, quick, a quick announcement before I do. Some of y'all see me do the three-chair demonstration. Uh, before, raise your hand if you see me do the three-chair demonstration. Good portion of you. If you've been actually at school, I don't think I've done it in second year yet this year. Um, I was actually getting ready to do it in first year, but I'm, it got postponed. Um, it's a little bit different every time. I can't, I can't preach anything twice the same way. So, and it's going to be from a different position today. So please never do what I've done before and think, well, I've heard that before, read that before. That's been a mistake I've made in the past, and uh, I hope to never do it again. <laughs> it's like reading the Bible and be like, I've read that chapter before. <laughs> and then God's like, oh, that's too bad, because I had something new for you. <laughs> um, so, but before that, so I, I'm going to announce, I'm going to write a book someday. It's the, called The F Word for Christians, and um, it's fasting. So, <laughs> some of you got that. Some of you just didn't think it was funny. So, <clears throat> that's uh, that's okay. 
<laughs> but uh, I tried. But um, so we're going to do a corporate fast. I encourage you to participate in it. There's never, a, there's never a have to in anything that we do. But I encourage you to participate in it. Um, I never call a corporate fast at the beginning of the year just because it's the thing to do. It, it is a very Christian thing to do. And, and regardless whether it's traditional in some places or not, you can still get something out of anything that's traditional. Communion's very traditional, right? But it's one of the most powerful things that we do. Um, so it just depends on if you allow it to become tradition or not. So we're going to do a 30-day corporate fast, 30 days, starting January 1st. Uh, we're going to meet here. We're going to meet here at 5 p.m. on Saturday, January 1st. For those of you that can make it, you don't have to. You can pray with us wherever you're at in the world. But we are going to start. And so just if you want to engage in that, and then on 30 days, I know you're like, why not 40 days? Because that's what I felt like I heard Jesus saying. He said 30 days. You can go another 10 days if you want, uh, if you hear Jesus saying that, but I refuse any longer to fast longer than Jesus says, because I've done it before, and, uh, you know, and it's, it's very, uh, it's awful, right? And I've had him tell me, I've had him tell me, just, you know, just go eat a cheeseburger. You'll be, you know, it'd probably be more fruitful than what you're trying to do right now, <laughs> or whatever you eat, you know what I mean? That's just what he told me. I, I like cheeseburgers, and so... <laughs> Well, I take the bread off of them now. It's healthier, right? <clears throat> so we'll do a 30-day 30, 30 corporate fast in whatever Jesus tells you, however he tells you to fast. I, I'm not uh, big on encouraging you to fast a specific way. Um, oftentimes, my fasts are, are broken up in, in, in different ways. It's between me and Jesus, and he determines whatever is the most fruitful for me. But I will tell you this, that every time I've done an extended fast, it has been for my spiritual health and for my physical health. So he's done it in a way that would actually be good for me physically as well. I used to fast in ways that wasn't very good for me physically. Uh, and and if there's not grace for it and you just abruptly stop eating, you know, that's between you and Jesus. It's not, all, it's not always great for you. Um, so you just work that out with him. Maybe you've done that for years, and it's fine for you now. You know, sometimes there's just that grace for it, and uh, I, I've done it many times. Um, but just, but I'll, I won't get a chance to teach again because we only have one more Sunday. I should teach about fasting sometimes, shouldn't I? It's been a while. But just remember this: going into this fast, we don't we don't fast to get God to do something. You're not starving yourself or, or, with, or, with, or, or like, I'm not going to eat chocolate so that God will answer my prayers. That's just a poor perspective on who God is. He's a good dad. Uh, he's not going to have pity on us because we don't eat. Like, he's not impressed with me starving myself. <laughs> he's a good father who wants to do things more than I want him to. And so when we go into fasting, what it is oftentimes is a sensitizing us to the things that God is already doing, and it helps us to get into what he's doing, because he's already pouring out. He's never stopped. If he's not pouring out where I'm at, I just need to get where he's at. <laughs> so it's a, it's a sensitizing and getting in and actually getting in tune with what God's doing in, in this season, and in this situation, in this coming year. Over the last two years, it's been a... Who thought COVID was going to end in three months? 
I've cleaned up a prophetic word that I gave. I felt like God was going to hit. It was going to be over soon. So you've, it's been a difficult season in the body of Christ for a lot of people. And I believe that this fast will help us to get into what he's going to do for the foreseeable future. In just a second, we'll take a victory lap for this year, too, just to highlight. Um, just to highlight some of the things that, that he's done this year. So corporate fast. 30 days, January 1st, we'll be here at 5 p.m. to pray for anybody that can. Uh, leadership team will, will be here. Um, at least I think most of them will, will be here. If not, all of them will be here. And so if you want to come, you can. If you don't, just start the fast wherever you're at. Uh, it's, uh, and then we'll end it here too. Uh, January 30th, and I'll pick a time. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. So um, who wants to hear some testimonies from Pakistan? If y'all didn't get to hear the uh, last week, then it's it's on live. You won't get to see the pictures. I'm sorry, we didn't show them on live. Some of them we just couldn't, uh, but you'll still get to hear all the testimonies. So here's more testimonies that came in from the crusade. Because remember, there were a lot of people watching online live, and so these are some are from online live, and some are from people that just called in because. When there's thousands of people in a place, it isn't like you can get all the testimonies at that moment. You just get as many as you can. So there was a man that came to the crusade with the left arm that was broken, and Jesus totally, totally healed him. Come on. Yes. Celebration. Let's remember, what I celebrate, I set myself up to see. When God does miracles, I, I, I celebrate. And so he's worthy of praise. And so I know that we don't clap a lot here. We don't get real loud here. Um, that's your traditional. I was about to say something probably not politically correct about Caucasians, but <laughs> Lindsay and I were the only white members of an old black church, and so I feel like I have, it's illegal for me to say some of that stuff, but we're, we're not traditionally <laughs> very demonstrative, right? Who's, where's Victoria. She, is she, she's back here somewhere. She's with the kids. Okay, she's from Brazil. Talk about demonstrative. So anyway, just remember, whatever you celebrate, you set yourself up to see. So there was a, 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 tube, a cyst in the stomach area of a woman who disappeared instantly at, at the crusade. <laughs> Come on. Yes, Jesus. A uh, 54-year-old woman had a frozen shoulder that was healed. Y'all know what that is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, swollen thyroid from, I remember praying, for, I believe I prayed for, for this person, I'm not for sure, we prayed for this person, uh, by birth, swollen th thyroid, uh, 23 year old young boy that was healed. You ever seen one that was really big? Yeah, Ooh, yeah, wow, broken ankle due to a motorcycle accident was healed. <laughs> if you saw traffic over there, you'd think riding a motorcycle was the biggest risk you'd ever taken in your life. They're like, just get on a motorbike. I'm like, no, no way. Not happening. <laughs> I'm not going to your hospital. Uh, man with an overgrown liver condition that was healed. Yes. There were six testimonies came. Uh, where people were healed of severe migraine pain. Yeah, come on, Jesus. 
in those places, a lot of times it's, it's witchcraft, you know, that they, they deal with. And, and then other times it's because they don't drink enough water or that's very practical things, the pollution. There's all kinds of practical stuff, too. So here, here's, the, here's the last one. Uh, there was uh, a man called Grace Network Office and told that he was watching the service live on TV with his 16-year-old son who was born blind. And his 16-year-old son received his sight while watching. <laughs> yes, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Can you imagine being 16-year-olds never seen before? Owen and I were talking about that. He's like, he's like, this is why I love grass and leaves so much, because he walked out of the doctor's office after not being able to see that well and have glasses on. It's like that times 1,000. Never seen before. It's, it's Jesus is, is still doing the same things that he's always been doing and going to continue to do. And I'm reminded that he's not looking for people that are the most gifted or the most talented um, or the most educated. He is literally just looking for somebody to say yes. That's all he needs. I'm a prime example of that. You just need somebody to say yes. I was thinking about that this morning as I was reminiscing and just of all the things that he just did in, in Pakistan this year. Remember, we went to Pakistan twice this year. Thousands and thousands of people, thousands of people were born again this year, gave their life to Jesus in Pakistan. You know that it is the second most Muslim country in, in the world by, by per capita. There's over 200 million Muslims in that country. 96 plus percent of that country is, is Muslim. And we saw thousands of people healed, thousands of people delivered in, in a whole, and all of them got to experience God's love in some form or fashion. Right? That's just one place. You can look on the outside looking in and say, this is just a little church. Let me tell you, something that you should never do that I did, if you're doing it already. Never look at your life or your influence and gauge what God can do with it. It's anything's possible. He's taken us places that we, we dreamed about and some places we never thought we would be. And never, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my desire when I became a Christian to go to the Middle East. And so God opened a door and he said, look, this is what I've called you all to do. This is, this, is your, this is your part and we all have a part. So this year we saw all that stuff happen in Pakistan, but we trained and equipped hundreds and hundreds of people here in the States. We saw hundreds of people healed, lots and lots of people encountered Jesus. Outreach went to a whole nother level this year of reaching people uh, in our own city. Uh, we did the Pride Festival this year again and, and saw for three or four hours. Was it four or five? How long were we there? I can't even remember. There was a line from here to where Tia is at the back wall for three, four hours straight of people coming in to encounter God in a tent. Uh, went into a place where, where we, love, we love to go. I, I, I forgot all about that. We had, I don't know how many conferences we did where we did, we saw so, God do so, 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 so much. Um, and each one of us, regardless of what we've been through in the course of this year, have seen growth in our lives, right? Raise your hand if you've seen yourself grow this year. You've grown in love, you've grown in compassion, 
You've seen, you've grown in your identity, right? I mean, come on. There's been a lot to celebrate. I encourage you. It's easy in our, in our dark moments, in our moments where not everything is going perfect, which is probably every moment of our lives, is to forget all that God has done in the process. And so this is what I do. Go back over the course of the year, look at each month, and, and think of things that he did in that month. Maybe you write, hopefully you write testimonies down. I write them down, I date them, I do everything um, to document what God's done in particular. Every single, every single testimony that I remember, I put it down. If I don't remember the details, I put down uh, some description of it. And then I can go back over and it triggers my memory. And then I get to celebrate with God the things that, that he's done. I mean, so you think about, I mean, let's just take a moment and thank God for the things that he did this year. You can just be vocal, you can clap, you can yell, you can do whatever you want. And so, Father, we thank you so much for all that you did this year. We give you all, every bit of the glory, Jesus. Every bit of it, we give it all to you. We thank you, Jesus. Father, you are incredibly amazing. You do keep on getting better as we sing. We thank you that we get to participate in this, this beautiful gospel message. <laughs> the simple, thanks for making it simple. <laughs> thanks for making it, thanks for using the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Thank you, Father. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. My gosh, you're good. Yeah, and thank you, Jesus. You know, we saw two, there was a kid born blind, Moses, you remember him in March? That he was, that God healed him when we were there in Pakistan as well. Two kids born blind. This is the, this is the stuff that I don't care if you put him in, you can put him in front of the most staunch atheist in the world. What are you going to do with that? You got doctor's report born blind? Like that kid, you know, when they're born blind, usually you can tell. Nobody has to tell you when they walk up on you, right? It's like a little boy that went fishing, you know, went ice fishing with his dad. His dad said, don't touch that lantern. It's hot. The little boy touched the lantern. <laughs> he found out it was hot. You could line up a thousand theologians with all the degrees and... <laughs> atheist, whoever, you light up, you tell that little boy that lantern wasn't hot, you can't convince him of that. He knows. We've seen. We've, as they sang this morning, we've seen too much. You can't talk me out of this. That's why we run towards darkness. Because <laughs> we know that we, are, we, we get to carry light. And that love destroys all things that are unlike it. Oh, man, he's good. Will you throw me that water that's right down there below you? One of those. One of those are mine. One of them's yours. I'll drink either one. I don't care. Because you guys are holy and anointed. What I do is I just pretend like it's mine. So, so let me get to the teaching now. So these three chairs, for those of you that don't know, this chair, chair number one. I, I want to use this demonstration. I felt like I was supposed to because these visual aids stick in people's minds. And you, you re will remember this more so than if I just give you words. So chair number one is a, is a born-again son or daughter of God, saved. Chair number two, 
born again son or daughter of God, saved, both going to heaven, right? Said yes to Jesus. Chair number three, lost. This is where approximately, because there's two point, approximately 2.2 billion, don't, don't judge me on the numbers if I'm off by a little bit, there's roughly 2.2 billion Christians worldwide sitting in one of these two chairs. In chair number three, there's roughly, because now there's about seven point, roughly 7.9 billion people in the world. You probably say 8 billion people in the world. Uh, and so that leaves about 5.7, roughly 5.7 billion people that are lost in this chair right here. Right? Don't know Jesus. Roughly 1.6 billion of those are Muslims. As I already told you, over 200 million of that 1.6 billion are just in Pakistan alone. So remember, saved, saved, lost. You guys got it? What's chair number one? Saved. Chair number two? Saved. Chair number three? Lost. Yes, you got it. Okay. So I'm going to get rid of this chair briefly. <laughs> and hopefully, this teaching will help eliminate more people out of this chair <laughs> until we eliminate it altogether. And so, let me read you a few scriptures. We start off with John 15, 15. No, Sarah and I never coordinate. We never coordinate what, we're, what she's going to sing or what I'm going to preach. I know there's places that do that. And I've had people tell me, man, you guys must have planned that. You guys must work hard. And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't coordinate that stuff. That probably, I don't know. That's maybe a good idea sometimes. We just don't do it, and then uh, we can give Holy Spirit the credit. So John 15, 15 in the New American Standard Bible says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, because all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Let me read another verse, because once I get going, I probably won't read any more. I'll just quote them. <clears throat> so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 10 says, There remains therefore a rest. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. I think it's the New King James. You can put it up there in any translation. There, there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, talking about God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Ephesians 2.6 says that you and I are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right after that, in, in verse 8, it says that you've been saved by grace alone, that it's not of yourselves, right? It's not of works, lest anyone be able to boast about what they've actually accomplished. <clears throat> so this is what I want to talk to you about today. There's two positions that we can live. I, I believe that I can categorize the whole Christian life into one of these two chairs right here. <laughs> I know that may sound like a tall order, but I believe I can do it. And so there, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God that we are able to enter into what Jesus said on the cross, which was, it is finished. There's theological debate about what that means. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean is that the gifts and, and, and the ministries of the Holy Spirit stopped at the, at the cross. I just told you a whole list of testimonies that would negate that theology. I don't need to, like, fight for it. It's just, you know, the proof is in the figurative pudding. <laughs> and so there, there's, so Jesus was saying 
I believe we can see in Scripture that there is no more work after this for you to do. There's nothing left for you to accomplish because I actually did it all. And so when he laid down on that cross and allowed the Roman soldiers to, remember, the father didn't kill him. There's theology out there, and this is what atheists have a heyday with, is that why would I want anything to do with a God who killed his son? No, no, Jesus signed up. He said, this is what I I know I need to do. This is what I want to do. And then he actually allowed the Roman soldiers to kill him. They killed him, not God. Got that? That's, that, that is the, that, there's so much that they try to put on our God. As you say, well, he's good. Well, how do you do this? So, remember, Jesus laid down on that cross willingly at the hands of the Roman soldiers. And when he shed his blood, it accomplished everything that, that every sacrifice was trying to accomplish up until that point. The priest made sacrifices on a yearly basis to atone for the sin of people, but all they could do was cover that sin for that particular year, and it did not sanctify them or make them righteous in the sight of God. And so Jesus said, look, I'll do it. You can't accomplish it. Let me show you that this is what I planned from the beginning of time because I'm the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That means before the world was thought of, the Father already said, this is actually already done. It's our plan, and because I live outside of time, I actually instituted time. I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. In my mind, what Jesus did 2,021 years ago is actually already accomplished to him. That makes sense? I know that's a lot in, in a little bit of time, but I'm just trying to move fast. And so, so Jesus became the ultimate sinless sacrifice. He actually gave an example of what all sons and daughters were created to be on the planet. Because when he came, after he accomplished the finished work at the cross, sin nature got cut away from every believer. He didn't say you can't sin any longer. He just said it's not your new nature. And the only thing now, you you remember how to sin. Because it's the only thing that came into the kingdom with us. But it's the work that he accomplished was to destroy the power of sin over all of humanity... And at the same time, he was demonstrating who God is as a good father so that we would want him. Because when people see who God is as a good father, you, that, how could you not want him? He's, he's un, undefiled, unconditional, uncomprehensible love. Like <laughs> Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that you would know the love of God that passes human understanding. How do I understand love that can't be understood? I, under, I experience it. And so Jesus finished everything that needed to be done. And that's why, what, what happened when Jesus' death at the cross, buried three days later, rose from the dead, 40 days on planet earth with his disciples, and then what? We see it in Acts chapter 1. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. All right? And what did he do? He sat down. That's what you do when you're done working. And then in Ephesians 2, 6, he said, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. So what's that mean? Is that I'm no longer working. The same thing that Hebrews 4 says. Is that that we all have the ability, the grace, the invitation to actually come into the rest that Jesus started, he set an example and says, I'm going to enter into this rest, and then I am going to give you an open invitation into it. 
The only problem with that is that oftentimes us humans still think that there's something to accomplish. And so, chair number one, believers. This is chair number one, son or daughter. I sit, when I sit in this chair, that means that I am literally resting in the finished work of the cross. That I am not striving for love, but I am living from love. In this chair, I receive the love of the Father. I realize that it's my number one assignment to allow Him to love me because it's the most important thing that I can do. Because when I receive love, I can give love. And in this chair, I realize that I'm worth love. But the difference between chair number one and chair number two is, is that chair number two is also, remember, saved. Say saved. Saved. So chair number two is saved. Going to heaven, right? But remember, heaven is, is not the assignment. Heaven is the destination. <laughs> and so in chair number two, I am striving I am not seated in heavenly places. In my mind, I am seated on the ground. I am living from earth to heaven because everything looks like, from my perspective in chair number two, that I need, it's like sitting on the edge of your chair. You, you know what, when you sit on the edge of your chair? Anybody watch the Patriots game last night? Anybody else get concerned in the fourth quarter? You thought, not again. <laughs> and then I was reminded they don't have Tom Brady anymore. <laughs> So I had to fit that in there. But, but I was seated on the edge of my chair. You know why? Because I was worried. <laughs> because I have my recliner laid out like this, but I was sitting up on the edge of it. Because in this, in this, chair, <laughs> in this chair, I stress because I feel like there's something I still need to accomplish. And I'm not living from love. I'm living for love. Because I'm frantic that the Father still sees what, the, what I've always thought he's seen, which is the, my bad behavior, the thoughts that I still have that nobody knows about, the things that I still do that may bring shame or condemnation into my life, right? Is that I, and all I can see is the imperfections. But in this chair, I realize that I, all he sees is me wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus, is that all he sees is purity and holiness because there's no more sin nature there. And regardless of the sin that I've committed, I realize that not only did he forgive it, but he actually forgot it. But in this chair, I feel like that he's constantly reminded of all the things that I've done wrong because I'm listening to the enemy constantly remind me of all the things that I've done wrong. And I forget in this chair that the, the rest of heaven is available to me. And so instead of resting, I'm constantly working and striving. In this chair, I'm frantic that I don't have the acceptance or the approval of the Father. And all it does for me is cause me to continually strive on a daily basis. By strive, I mean work. Remember, this chair, resting. This chair, working. What am I working for? I am working for approval. I'm working for something that Jesus accomplished, but religion in this chair, I allow the voice of religion to condemn me and control me and think that at the end of every day, God is grading me based on my performance on that day. And my whole life is a stage, and I'm constantly performing for God on that stage, that day after day after day after day, it's an act in front of God to see 
if he will finally love me a little bit until I go to sleep that night and then I wake up that morning and I got to do it all over again. Am I the only one in the room that's lived on that stage? <laughs> Probably not. And so there is a rest for the people of God because in, in this chair, when I, am, when I am resting, I actually accomplish more than I ever will in this chair. We call it the hard work of rest. Rest is the primary weapon in every season of life. It's, it's not seasonal, it's every season. In every season of life, my primary weapon is rest. Can I, can I tell you something for, for all of us that love the baptism of the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues? I'm probably 75% of us in here, at least, at least 50. I'd give you 75 in this room that probably pray in the Spirit. Can I tell you that rest will accomplish more than praying in tongues ever will? Because if I'm praying in tongues in this chair, I'm just praying out of my soul. I remember that prayer language and all I'm doing is talking. I've seen a lot of people pray in the spirit that weren't filled. Just because you know how doesn't mean anything's being done. Just because you're making sounds doesn't mean anything's being accomplished. But when I live from this chair, I realize that it isn't about how much I say. It's about what he's already done. And then I pray from a place of rest, and, and it's not about how much I pray or how long I pray. And I'm not saying, this is what I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't pray a lot and don't pray long. I'm saying that there's a big difference between me praying long in this chair, because I think how long I pray, how loud I pray, <laughs> the words that I say, all, the, all that matter from this chair. Because if I think if I say the right words and hold my mouth right, make the right Christian pose and put my hand in the right place. Come on. I know I'm in a room full of people that know what I'm talking about. I know. <laughs> but from this chair, I realize, you remember that boy in Brazil, Caleb? Some of you do. Three years old, diagnosed with severe autism. Sitting in this chair. You know the prayer that I prayed over him? I was just sitting in this chair. I didn't have. I, I'm not. I didn't have a. I don't have a prayer model for healing autism. Like I don't know. I've tried the same prayer since and it didn't work. I don't have a prayer model for. It. I just said peace, four or five times. Shalom. That was it. Guess what? Jesus heals him. Doctor verified healed of autism. Just sitting in 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 this chair because I re I realized something that. And I didn't, I can't tell you that I did it on purpose. It was, a, I found it out by accident. The way that I found out a lot of things in my Christian life. But I had begun to get the revelation of, of rest in a new way. And I began to realize from this chair, it's not about how long, how loud. It's not about how well I articulate the words. It's not about the position of my mouth or if I have my eyes closed or have my eyes open. None of that matters from here. What I remember in this chair is that I have my faith in the character and nature of my good father and that he wants to do these things more than I want him to. And all I have to do is remember that from this chair. From this chair, I remember the testimonies of his goodness. From this chair, all I remember is the sins of my past. <laughs> They're const I'm constantly reminded of the things that I've done wrong because it's the way that I believe the Father is seeing me. You see, the difference, one of the main differences between being able to rest in what He's accomplished and not being able to rest, uh, 
rest in what he's accomplished is how I believe he is. I am never going to demonstrate him better than I see him. I am never going to show you a better God than I believe he is. And I am never going to be able to rest if I think he is angry, frustrated, temperamental. Just waiting in heaven with a ruler to whack me. Y'all didn't go to Catholic school like I did. You did? <laughs> like they, my dad told me horror stories about the knuckle whacking. You know, that I don't, they don't let them do that anymore. Of course, they spanked kids in the office when I was in school. Too. <laughs> they spanked kids in the office when I was in school. You can't do that anymore either. <laughs> but from this chair I'm reminded I actually from chair number one when I am a chair number one son when I'm a chair number let me, let me tell you some important facts bef- before I get into that is that any if, if, right about now some of us are, are, are feeling it in the sense of like, I know, you're, you're recognizing. You know when you live out of this chair, and you know when you live out of this chair. So let me clarify for everyone of, of what you're feeling, because you may be a little confused. Or I just want you to understand clearly that in a split second, any of us can go from this chair to this chair. As fast as I just move from that chair to this chair, I, I, can, I can do that in my life. It's a mindset. My position in Him is a mindset. Feels good to be able to sit when you preach. But if I can move from that chair to this chair that fast, then I can move back. And so the goal is, is for me to actually be self-aware, not self-conscious. Spiritually conscious, but self-aware is that I am aware when I am not resting because there are things in my life that I, I realize. I feel stress on the back of my neck. Right? There's tension I feel. There are certain indicators. There are certain thoughts that go through my mind when I'm not, when I'm not resting. And so any of us are capable of doing that. But when I am a chair number one son, when I, when I am resting in this chair, it is because... The primary purpose is because I remember who the Father is. I remember that He's good. I remember that He's perfect. I remember that He sees me through the sacrifice of Jesus. I remember when He looks at me, He sees me as flawless and holy before Him in love. The same way He saw me before Him in the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, He saw me in the same way. I remember in this chair that He chose me. In this chair, I, I think that he reluctantly <laughs> invited me into the family and that I don't have a seat at the table, but I might get to sit somewhere maybe at the kids' table. <laughs> but in this chair, I realize, just like that song that Sarah wrote, is that we, that we welcome you to family. That's what I remember from this chair, that that's what the Father did to me. As John 15, 15 says, that he didn't invite me into the kingdom to be a slave. I'm not on his payroll. He didn't invite me in to work for him. <laughs> before, you, before you all stop listening, just listen. to Just hold on, okay? I'll clarify. But I need to push this a little bit farther because if there's anything that's left in our religious thinking, one of my number one goals is to find it. <laughs> 
religion's meaner than sin. Because in this chair, I listen to religion, and it tells me that I actually have to work for something that Jesus died for. From this chair, religion negates the shed blood of Jesus. It discounts it and tells me that I have to earn something that he actually bled out for. From this chair, I remember that. And so I don't discount it, but I actually thank him for it. And I keep myself in, you've heard the attitude of gratitude, kind of a cheesy phrase, I know, but it is a kingdom way of living. And when I sit in this chair, I rest in the fact that I'm grateful for what he did. And if it wasn't for grace, I wouldn't have this. Without Jesus, I couldn't do what I do. Without Holy Spirit, the miracles that happened wouldn't happen. Without Holy Spirit, the, when, I, when I speak, there's no anointing. And we might as well go have lunch. Right? There's no reason to. If, if it's not for him, there's no reason to gather. From this chair, I realize that he's the one thing worth giving my life for. From this chair, I cling to life. It becomes it's so very valuable to me that I can't even lay it down. Because I think that all that I have is wrapped up in my in, in this temporal world with my temporal things. And I cling to them and hold on to them. Because from this chair, I'm very selfish. But from this chair, I'm completely selfless. From this chair, I, th I think about myself, the stuff that I have, and, and maybe my immediate family. From this chair, I think about chair number three. And the compassion of Jesus moves me for the lost. Because I realize if it wasn't for his compassion for me, I'd still be in chair number three. <laughs> From chair number two, I focus on the behavior of others. Because I'm grading them because I think that's what he's doing to me. <laughs> and then religion gets a hold of my thinking. And I think, why do they act like that? I can't believe they cussed. I can't. Your cussing hurts my ears. I've heard Christians say that. Your cuss, cuss words hurt my ears. I'm like, well, where were you when Jesus found you? Like, were you born saved? I bet you still think cuss words. What are you talking about? Because from this chair, I think that my behavior saves me. I don't do this. Don't smoke that. Don't drink this. Don't say that. This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should live like the world. But from this chair, I think that my salvation is dependent on, when I do, on what I do or don't do. And then I become religious. And what happens is, is I've seen it happen to people in this chair. Christians have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever. Maybe not even that long. Is they're sitting in this chair, and this is how I know. is because then they start to judge other Christians by what they do and what they don't do. You can see it in their posts. You can hear it in the conversation. Judgmental. And they've taken the judgment seat of Christ for themselves. But from this chair, I remember that grace alone saves me. Right? And when I remember that, I'm going to clarify the slave and, and working for God and the payroll thing. Don't worry. I got you. I know some of you are waiting for that. 
But from this chair, religion doesn't have a hold on me. And I'm not focused on behavior. And because I'm not focused on behavior and I'm focused on grace, I remember the truth of who I am as a son. And when I remember the truth of who I am as a son and I live from this chair, I actually walk in the righteousness that was paid for me. And I live in holiness. And holiness is not a dirty word. Holiness is the, holy is the first name of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so I've been made holy, and I realized from this chair that it's actually my behavior is a choice, and that I'm not a victim to my past or what anybody else has said about me or has done to me. Even though I may have been victimized, I don't allow it to control my behavior from this chair. I got free from victim mentality. It's one of the best things I ever did. I used to be surrounded with guys that blamed their parents, blamed whoever. The guy that set them up, the guy that, I'm like, dude, you were dealing drugs. (laughs) That's why you got set up. (laughs) If you weren't dealing drugs, you wouldn't be in prison. (laughs) You get that, right? But no, it was the stitches' fault. (laughs) Funny side note, Donish's family, his sister-in-law, named their little dog Snitch. And I thought she was saying snitch. And I'm like, snitch. I'm like, she's saying snitch. Little puppy. Go around and barks at everything, you know. I guess that's what. And I said, what's his name? And she said, snitch. You know, snitches get stitches. And I'm like, they say that in Pakistan? I thought that was just a street thing in America. We had a good laugh. But in this chair, in chair number two, I I live from this mentality that because I'm working for God, that he is, he is, that even he is victimizing me and my gifts, my talents, everything, the anointing, everything that I have, everything that I get to utilize from this chair, I I believe that I am working for him. I am working for him, that I am earning my daily wage. From this chair, when I realize that I'm actually a friend of God, remember this. He loves me, sonship. He likes me, friendship. Because some of you have heard this before. Well, I love him, but I don't like him. (laughs) It's a good thing that Jesus doesn't say that about us. You know what else he doesn't say? (laughs) Is what we say in chair number two. Is, man, they're sure hard to love. (sighs) God's never said that about anybody. And so in chair number one, I remember that. And the reason that nobody's hard to love out of chair number one is because I'm not loving them out of my own strength. (laughs) I'm loving them from his love because I'm allowing him to love me. And when I allow him to love me, I have the rivers, rivers of love, plural, are coming from me. And it's effortless the way that this lifestyle was meant to be. And so when I realize friendship, I actually desire to do things from love to reach those that are around me that know him and those that are around me that don't. And so friendship will accomplish more than, than working for God ever could. Is that effortlessly from this chair, I am showing people that he is a good father. And my lifestyle is attracting them. From this chair, I'm trying to say all the right words, make sure that I got the Romans road correct. I can't ever, I can't follow the Romans road. I get lost, get in Ephesians. 
I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> but from this chair, I think it's all about the, the, all about the pr presentation. Hear me. I'm not saying that presentation is not important. It's just not more important than presence. And from this chair, the only presence I have is the presence of me <laughs> and stress and fear. Because from this chair, fear is the thing that drives me. From this chair, I am living, my life is dictated by the spirit of fear. Did you know that fear, there's two things that I've found that transcend culture. Fear and love. That in every culture, people are afraid. And that in every culture, people can experience the love of the Father. <laughs> but from this chair... I am resting in him, so I am actually, the presence of God is upon me, and me being around somebody will accomplish more than, than 10 sermons I could preach them from this chair. Me being in this chair and not saying anything is going to accomplish more than all the efforts I put in from chair number two. You guys are getting this? <clears throat> Let me get a drink before I wrap this up. <clears throat> <clears throat> I believe that in three generations that chair number three can be eliminated. Here's the question that, that people often say, and I'm not looking for a theological answer, but can a city be saved in a day? <clears throat> I'd say just ask Jonah. Jonah found out that's the truth. A city can be saved in a day. <clears throat> I believe in three generations we can, we can, eliminate, we can eliminate this chair. Do you know that, that this, <clears throat> this chair was never, was never God's will? You can find his will. You can find it in different places in the New Testament. Timothy's one of them. He, what his will is is that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, that little word, three-letter word, all. <clears throat> it means everyone if you're unsure. <laughs> every everybody you say well some people won't choose him you know what I don't even focus on that in this chair my only focus is to demonstrate his love to them the way that he demonstrated it to me in this chair I'm worried about rejection I'm worried about they're going to unfriend me in this chair I worry about all kinds of stuff they like my post they look at my come on <clears throat> Because in this chair, I live by the affirmation of people. But from this chair, I live from the affirmation of the Father. And the, and the one time that he told me, and he's told me since, but the one time that he affirmed me and said, you're my, you're my son, I love you. And in you, I'm, I'm well pleased. And it had nothing to do with my behavior. And I received the baptism of love, and then the affirmation of people didn't become important any longer. Can I say that the temptation of wanting the affirmation of people doesn't still come to me? No. It still comes at times. But I'm reminded, I get back in this chair and I'm reminded that all I need is the affirmation of my Father. That isn't about who likes me or who doesn't like me. It isn't about how many people follow me. <clears throat> it isn't about any of that. This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying influence isn't important. But I'm saying that I won't stress out over it unless I'm in this chair. <sighs> uh huh? Come on, we live in a day and age where that stuff's real important to us. <laughs> we can act like it isn't. There's some of us in this room it isn't important to. There's others in this room that I believe it is. Because you, you, you think that, 
that the influence or the impact that you're making is dictated by how many people follow you, like your stuff, say nice things about you, which none of that's true. Because when we figure out our assignment, our number one assignment, allowing him to love me, sitting in this chair, resting, we will never be aware of the impact that we make fully until we're on the other side of heaven. Because it's not about, in this chair, it's not about how many people I get to say a prayer. It's about that I demonstrate the love of, of the Father. You know what, somebody, I'll, I'll close, I'll close, first closing. I'll close with this, try to. We talked the other day. <clears throat> I was showing, you know, telling testimonies to a, to a good friend of mine from Pakistan. <clears throat> and I told him, and I'm just going to be, this is, you know, I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm just going to go ahead and put it all out there. And Lindsay and I talked about this, and I've talked about this with our team. I, I never desired to stand on stage in front of a bunch of people. <clears throat> that wasn't what I wanted. I argued with Jesus about it. I told him this is not, this is, I'd rather, I'd rather do other stuff. I won't <clears throat> say it because I don't want you to think I'm trying to show you how spiritual I am. <clears throat> but I'm not, I wasn't interested in it. it I, I realized that it's a great way to reach a lot of people at one time. I told you testimonies. We saw, you know, lots of thousands and thousands of Muslims give their life to Jesus. I'd never seen anything like that before. <clears throat> so when I was telling, you know, I was telling my, my friend this, <clears throat> he said, What's going on? Something in my throat. <clears throat> Come out. He said, you know that, that standing on stage in front of thousands of people is the pinnacle of most Christians' ministers' lives. <clears throat> and I, I, I don't know. I've probably heard that before at some point in time in my years of ministry. It's not been a long time. We've been, I don't know. 10 or 10 years or something like that. <clears throat> Almost eight years we've been doing this. And I thought, and I started to think about that, the pinnacle of, the, of Christian, Christian life and ministry. And I thought, there's, there's no such thing. I thought, how sad is it that we would think that my accomplishments and, and how big a crowd I stand in front of and how much influence I have or how many likes I have or how many people follow me are actually, if I reach a certain number, I have a gauge and say, this is the pinnacle. This is the highest place. I started a dialogue with Jesus, and I thought, man, you know what? I, I feel like the, what would be the pinnacle of the Christian life would be to become love in every area. Not if anybody ever knows my name. From this chair, I don't, I don't, I don't care if you remember my name. No matter if you remember the ministry. No, that's important. From this chair, I care a whole lot about it. All right? Because I think it's my legacy. I think the numbers, the accomplishments, how big the ministry gets. Put it in your, your life, whatever you do. This is just what I, this is what I do. So that's what, I'm, that's what I'm comparing it to. In this chair, I care about all that. How many songs I write, how many people listen to them, how many people sing them. Compare it to whatever you want. All right? How much money I make, how big my house is, what schools my kids go to, all, all that becomes, that, that all becomes a badge of honor in this chair. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I think they are. But from this chair, the reason I do it 
is because I desire for him to be seen and known so that other people can experience themselves being seen and known and loved by him. That's it. It's that if my whole life was to reach one person around the world, I've said this before, it's worth saying again. My friend asked me years ago, he said, would you go across the world for one? And I thought, eh, I don't know. Seems like a long flight. Could we get 50 there? Maybe 500? We'll scrounge up the money to make it happen. I think Jesus will provide. It was a heart check. It wasn't a question that he was looking for an answer to. It was a question that I've thought about for the last eight years, if that tells you the impact that it had on me. And it, and it took me realizing the finished work of Jesus. And it wasn't about, because I lived from this chair for a long time in my Christian life, in ministry. I lived from this chair for a long time. It, and, and in this chair, it was about how many people, it was about how accurate the prophetic words were. It was about how many people got healed. It's about people liking me. It was about all the things, all the, the, <laughs> the machine of ministry, as we call it. You get caught up in it. And, and from this chair, all, all that matters. And from this chair, I wouldn't go across the world for one because it was about numbers. But from this chair, I can honestly answer and say, yeah, it's worth it. The one's worth it. Because if the audience of one is not most important to me, I should never be trusted with more than that. If the audience of one isn't the most important thing to me, in the back alley or in the village or where nobody knows what happens, I'll tell you that there are testimonies sometimes that we share that God doesn't even want us to. That there will be few and far between. It's not, not all the time. I'll be few and far between. There will be testimonies where you stand in front of an audience of one and there'll be nobody else around. And the Father will say, just keep that between us. Those are the most sacred. Because <laughs> he trusted you with the one. <clears throat> and you find out in those moments what it's really about for you. And that's when I know I'm living from this chair. That's when I know I'm resting in what he accomplished. So my accomplishments, I just continually give him glory. <laughs> it's the best place to be. So this is the practical. As I get ready to pray, this is the practical. What's your chair, what's your chair number one list and what's your chair number two list? Yeah, I'm giving you homework. You ought to do something with what you hear all the time. If you don't do something with what you're getting, what people are teaching you, it makes it a real challenge to grow. So this is what I, I do. I have, a, I have a, a list in my mind because I've made a list before of what I feel like when I'm in chair number two so that it can prompt me to get back up and get in chair number one. I even envision myself in the rest of what he accomplished. Remember, we, we live in the rat race, as they call it, 
you're constantly, maybe you're grinding it out in this season of life, working two jobs or working a lot of hours, whatever it is. Regardless, rest is for right now. It's not for later when you're not busy, when the kids have grown up, when everything seems to be right. That's called destination disease. When I get this, when the kids get this, when I've been married this long, when we start to, <laughs> I'm telling you that it won't be like that when you get there because all you're focused on is that instead of rest. If we can focus on rest and staying in chair number one, we will enjoy in every season of life. I'm not saying you're going to enjoy the challenges that you face at times, but I am saying that when we live at rest, we will have peace through those challenges. When I live at rest, I will still overflow through those challenges. I will overflow with love. I will still be, I will be trusting because rest and trust are synonymous. Because I can't trust from chair number two. Because I can't live in fear and love at the same time. But remember, if you're in chair number two today, all you got to do in your mind is get up and get in chair number one. So make a list. How do you feel when you're in chair number one? How do you feel when you're in chair number two? It's real simple. Because guess what? Almost six billion, six billion people are in this chair right here. And regardless of how big my house is, how big my ministry gets, all any of that stuff, any of the stuff in the natural that we oftentimes hang our hat on, if I'm not reaching this chair, I'm not doing my assignment. I'm just worried about the destination. Every one of us were created to reach the lost with our lifestyle. And then we use words when necessary. We're an example. So stand with me. Y'all have the ability. Some of you, when, when you hear me say, when you hear me say, oh, to reach, reach the lost, you think about preaching the gospel. Let me tell you that your life is the most profound sermon that you could ever speak. It has nothing to do with you standing in a pulpit has nothing to do with, with that at all. It has everything to do with living from chair number one. The hard work of rest. As Graham Cook says, rest is a weapon. <laughs> and every one of us have the grace to live from that chair. So Father, we thank you so much for the grace. In this season where tension's high and stress and all that stuff from the holidays, some of us are going to be around family that we may not get along with so well. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you are helping us to rest in what you've already accomplished. We just break the religious mentality of working for God. We break the slave mentality of working for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray right now, Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of adoption, come. I pray that you would reinforce the friendship, that you would reinforce that the Father loves us and likes us. Right where we're at, that he's not mad, he's not disappointed. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you this, is that he does not have disappointment in his eyes when he looks at you. I feel like somebody really needs to hear that today. He does not have disappointment in his eyes when he looks at you. He's got love in his eyes and mercy on his mind. And he's proud. You 
can argue and rationalize that away. He's proud because you're his. Have anything to do with what you've done or haven't done. And so, Father, thank you for clarity today on who you are. Thank you for clarity today on how you see us. Thank you for clarity today on your pure, undefiled love. Thank you for the righteousness and the holiness that you have wrapped us in. And thank you for the grace that's made it possible. love you and for everybody that needs it just get up out of chair number two get into chair number one rest in what he's accomplished take your mind off the list of things that you need to do things that you still need to get just take a moment let's just take a moment relax and rest and let him love us we receive your love father receive your love. (laughs) Some of us, he's been singing that over us for a long time. Just let me love you. Just let me love you. It's what you really need. Just let me love you. So Jesus, we make you the center of everything right now. And as I continually do, we take all of our worries, all of our fear, Everything. We even take all of our accomplishments, all of our gifting, all of our stuff, all of our ministries, all the anointing. We just sit everything at your feet, Jesus. And we exalt you above it all as Lord, as Savior, as King, as our Bridegroom King. But you're more important than all of it. And without you, we wouldn't have any of it. So we put you in your rightful place, Jesus. And we worship you. We worship you. We give our lives to you to be worship. To be worship in all that we do. I pray that each one of us would be solidified in the affirmation of the Father's love. And that we would begin to be chair number one sons and daughters. More than we were last week. that we would remember to celebrate our progress in every moment celebrate our progress I bless what you're doing in this family's lives people that are watching this bless you we bless what Jesus is doing right now we thank you Holy Spirit that you don't stop working when we say amen and I pray that everyone will 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 give you the permission to convict us and remind us when we're sitting in chair number two that you would bring freedom to us in every place that religion still is as we sang today that 
you tear down all of our traditions, destroy all of the religion we have left. Help us to focus in on just the covenant that we have with you. Allow you to love us. Let that overflow in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah. Prayer team, if you want to come on, please. For those of you that need prayer, you need healing, you need somebody to partner with you on anything, whatever it is, we got people that want to pray for you and pray with you, stand with you. Maybe you need peace. Whatever it is, we got people that want to pray. We bless you guys. Some of you we won't we won't see before Christmas. So have a good Christmas. Enjoy the family. Remember rest when you're with people that you're not around all the time, and maybe you're not around them all the time for a good reason. <laughs> Come on. We get to be an example this, this holiday season of what love looks like. Yeah. So we just bless what God's doing in your life. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. Again, if you need to just sit there and hang out with Jesus, do it, please. Let him love you. Let him minister to you. We're not going anywhere. If you need prayer, come on. If you need to go, thanks for being with us. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.org.